What an inspiring sight, my fellow brethren, to see this historic tabernacle filled to capacity and to realize that in halls and chapels throughout the world there are similar gatherings this evening in this meeting of those who hold the priesthood of Almighty God. I certainly pray for an interest in your faith and in your prayers as I stand before you this evening. I've been thinking about a general priesthood meeting which I attended way back in 1956. At that time, I was serving as a member of the stake presidency of the Temple View Stake here in Salt Lake City. President Fetzer, President Burt, and I had come to the tabernacle early with the thought that we would get a good seat. I remember we were among the first to enter, and as we entered this building, we sat right over here in the section toward which I'm pointing. In an instant, the building was filled. I looked at the clock. Two more hours before the meeting was to begin. We decided we would share experiences. President Fetzer shared with President Burt and me a missionary experience of his, which he had in Germany 33 years before when he was on his mission there. He told us how he and his companion were slated to deliver a message, a church message, by pre-announcement in an old school building. On that rainy night, as they went to the school building, they discovered that a malcontent had stirred up the feelings of the townspeople against the missionaries. And as they entered the school building, they discovered that the crowd was angry and becoming very close to a situation of violence. Just at a critical moment, a woman stepped between the two missionaries and the angry crowd and with a stern but sweet voice said, These two young men are my house guests. They are coming to my home for dinner. And now if you will kindly step aside, we'll leave. The missionaries were only too happy to leave and follow their benefactress out into the rainy night and to her home. When they arrived there, Brother Fetzer said, the lovely lady asked that they remove their coats and place them on the kitchen chairs to dry, and then she indicated she would prepare for them a hot meal. As they ate, they then prepared to present a discussion in that home. They invited the woman's son, who was a shy lad, sitting comfortably, Brother Pace, behind the warm stove in his favorite spot, and the lad preferred to remain there. But the woman listened, and the two missionaries presented their discussion and then went out into the night to return to their apartment. Brother Fetzer turned to Brother Bert and me and said, I don't know if that woman ever did join the Church, but I'll forever be grateful to her for the kindness she extended to my companion and to me. We sat silent for a moment here in the tabernacle and observed that the brethren on the row right in front of us were chatting. We began to listen to their conversation. One of them said to the other, Tell me about your conversion to the Church. He said, Oh, I'd be happy to. He said, I first heard about the gospel 33 years ago in my humble town in Germany. He said it was a rainy night. 
and my mother rescued two young missionaries from an angry mob and brought them to our house. He said, I was a little bit upset because I knew that would mean that my dinner would be carved in three as I would have to share my food with the missionaries. They invited me to the table to participate in the discussion, but I preferred my place of comfort and solitude behind the old kitchen stove. And then he said, I didn't join the Church for some time after that, but I'll forever be grateful to those two missionaries who had the courage and the tenacity to proclaim the message of the Restoration even at a time when their very lives could have been threatened. He said, I suppose I'll never know who they were or from whence they came. He said, I think one had a name like Fitzer or something like that, but that's a shot in the dark. Brother Burton and I looked up to Brother Fetzer. Great tears were flowing down his cheeks, and he reached over and tapped the man on the shoulder right here. And then he said, I'm Bruder Fetzer. I want to meet the boy who sat behind the kitchen stove 33 years ago and had the courage to listen and particularly the wisdom to learn. Oh, you've never seen such a reunion in your life. English, German, brotherhood. I do not remember one single word that was spoken at the pulpit that evening. Not one word. But I shall ever treasure the wonderful experience of seeing how our Heavenly Father repaid a missionary and filled the desire of the heart of one who had lived true to the faith. A scripture would be pertinent then, it's pertinent now. And if it so be that ye should labor all your days, and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father. Brethren, we are a missionary-minded Church with a God-given mandate to proclaim the message of the Restoration to all the world. It won't be easy, but we do have a pattern. We have the pattern of that wonderful missionary Alma who said, This is my glory, that I might be an instrument in the hands of God to bring some soul to repentance, and this is my joy. Oh, brethren, you deacons and teachers and priests, you stand on the threshold of your missionary opportunity. And I would add this thought, missionaries are not salesmen with wares to peddle. They are servants of the Most High God, with testimonies to bear, with truths to teach, and souls to save. The work is difficult. It is demanding. But I would like to bear witness to you, young men, that our Heavenly Father who calls you and remember, your call comes from a prophet of God. He will be with you, for this is His work, and you are on His errand, and He will bless you, for He has promised. He said, I will be on your right hand and upon your left hand. I will go before your face. My spirit shall be in your hearts and my holy angels round about you to bear you up. Brethren, 
The Doctrine and Covenants further stated a revelation from the Lord, and ye shall go forth in the power of my Spirit, preaching my gospel two by two in my name, lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump, and declaring my word like unto angels of God. Oh, I plead with you fathers, quorum leaders, bishops, bishops' counselors, yours and ours is an opportunity to instruct our precious Aaronic priesthood young men in the missionary obligation which is theirs, but more particularly to give them a vision of the missionary opportunity which is before them. I would bear witness that the work is difficult, the impact is everlasting, and this is no time for summer soldiers in the missionary army of the Lord. At Church Headquarters, brethren, we receive missionary recommendation forms every day. During the long years that I served as chairman of the committee, I kept a record of some of the interesting and faith-promoting incidences which occurred in the calling of missionaries. There is a wide spectrum on those missionary recommendation forms concerning the preparation of the individual candidate. I remember one form where the bishop had written this notation on the back. John is very close to his mother. She would hope that he would receive an assignment very near their home so that she could telephone him each Saturday and visit him at least monthly. I looked at President Spencer W. Kimball, who was making the assignments that day, and I thought, where will he send him? Will he send him near his California home, perhaps to Oregon or Washington or Utah? Brother Kimball did not even raise his eyes from the assignment sheet. He didn't even raise his voice. He simply said, I feel the Lord would like John to serve in the Johannesburg, South Africa mission. <laughs> and John was off to South Africa. On another occasion, a state president had written, This is the most prepared candidate we have ever recommended for a mission. Last year, he baptized his stepfather. His stepfather said to me that it was his son-in-law, Jerry, that caused him to become a member, and the fact that a church must have the truth. If Jerry, on his own, would get up every Sunday morning and go to priesthood meeting, he said, that's why I became a member of this church, and I love it. Jerry was ready to serve. He had already been in the missionary harness. In many respects, brethren, a mission is a family matter. I advise missionaries and you future missionaries the importance of sending a letter home every week to your mother and your father. Those missionary letters are packed with power, spiritual power. They are filled with faith and abiding faith. I have always maintained that they seem to go to some heavenly post office, and God puts an invisible stamp on the letter, 
and when your mother and father receive it. Forgotten is the poor grammar, the horrible spelling, the unreadable penmanship. But to mother and father, that letter from a missionary son or daughter is like an epistle from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. But be careful what you write. Mother will read every word in Relief Society and testimony meeting. And Dad will share the thoughts with his fellow workers. But no letter will ever be discarded. And you fathers, when you and your dear wives write letters to your missionary family members, you can bring home and heaven close to them as you share with them the feelings of your soul and the love of your heart. At the funeral services for the mother of President Marion G. Romney, held years ago in Provo, Utah, John K. Edmund was the speaker. He told how Brother Romney's father and mother were living in old Mexico in poverty, how the elder Brother Romney was called on a mission, just as was the father of President Benson, to leave behind his wife and family. He had no means of support, but he went. Then Brother Edmonds continued, One day Sister Romney had written a letter to her dear husband. She missed him so, but she didn't even have a stamp to mail the letter. She got down upon her knees and then went out into the garden, even in the orchard, to think about things. And as she kicked the autumn leaves back and forth, she saw a shiny object on the ground. And as she picked it up, it was a coin the exact amount to provide the postage stamps whereby she could communicate with her husband. The letter had been written, and now, through the help of God, the stamps could be provided and the letter could be on its way. Brethren, I think of my own grandfather, Nels Monson from Sweden, who waited seven years for his little English wife to grow up so they could be married. The very first entry in his missionary journal says, Today my wife Mariah Mace and I received the wonderful blessing of sealing in the Salt Lake Temple. I'm the happiest man in the world. Three days later, in a little more somber tone, he wrote, The bishop called at our home tonight, and I've been called to return to Scandinavia for two years. My wife of three days will remain at home and sustain me. I laud each of you, men and women, who go into the missionary field, you brethren and your wives, hand in hand. But you go not only hand in hand one with another, you go hand in hand with Almighty God to bring the bread of life to a faith-starved world. I express to those who contribute to the missionary fund the thanks of the Church and the feelings of gratitude of my own soul. I know your reward will come. It may come soon, or it may come after 33 years, as with Brother Fetzer, but it will come, and it will bless, and it will comfort, and it will sanctify. Just this last month, in Salt Lake City, an obituary notice appeared in the paper for one by the name of Fred Sudbury. The notice indicated that he left behind his wife Pearl, a son Craig, 
that their marriage had been solemnized in the Salt Lake Temple, but the obituary notice could not begin to do justice to the miracle which occurred in Fred Sudbury's life. Let me quickly illustrate. Years ago, Pearl Sudbury and her son Craig came to my office. Craig had been called on a mission to Australia. As we visited, he said, more than anything in this world, I would like to see my non-member father feel like I feel and like my mother feels and become a member. Brother Monson, what can I do? I said, Craig, you write a letter home to your mother and father every week of your mission. And on occasion, you write a letter just to your dad and tell him you love him. Let him know you're grateful to be his son and proud that he's your father. They left. Eighteen months almost later, Pearl came to the office again, and with sentences punctuated by tears, she said, You'll never know what's happened. Fred stood for the first time in a testimony meeting this week and told the members of our ward that he had made his decision to be a member. He indicated that the letters from our son Craig had made the difference. He also admitted that he had been reading the Book of Mormon on the sly, and now he was converted to the truth. And then he shocked everyone when he said, I've made arrangements for my wife and me to go to Australia that I might be the final baptism for our son on his mission. And a few months later, in far-off Australia, Craig Sudbury, dressed in white, escorted his dad, Fred, into the waters of baptism, and he raised his hand to the square and announced those beautiful words, Fred Sudbury, having been commissioned of Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The prayer of a mother, the faith of a father, the service of a son had combined to bring forth the miracle of God. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. My dear brethren, the prayer of my heart is that we might have missionary memories of stalwart service in the cause of Christ. And I plead with our Heavenly Father for this blessing to belong to each one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.